Please welcome J.T. Meyer as he continues our sermon series. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You guys doing all right this morning? Good. Hey, I've been fighting off a sickness all week, so if I pass out or something here on stage, you can come help me out. Um, hey, I have a question for you guys. Uh, don't answer this out loud, but just kind of answer it in your mind. What, what do you think is the most common command in the entire Bible? What do you think is the most popular or the, the most frequently used command in all of Scripture? I'll, I'll give you some hints. It's not about murder. It has nothing to do with uh, family or marriage. It's not money. It's not about coming to church. Here's the most common command we see in the Bible. Do not be afraid. Do not fear, or or some variation of, of do not be anxious. Do not worry. Do not fear. Isn't that interesting? It's the most common thing we see in the Bible. And just full disclosure, there's, there's a number of things that it's referring to when it says, you know, this, this variation of don't be afraid, don't worry. Sometimes it's talking about, you know, like if an angel would appear, they'd say, hey, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And it's kind of that, that natural fear that comes up. Like if a tiger was on the stage, I would have fear. And that's God-given, and that's good. Uh, but a lot of times, they're using this word that, that, that means this kind of internal turmoil. It means literally to be torn up inside, like this, this anxiety and fear. And that's the kind of fear or anxiety that, that I want to talk about today. You know, a new study in, in the American Psychiatric Association said that anxiety levels in America are at an all-time high. And not just by a little bit, they're astronomically high. Just a few short years ago, it said that less than 50% of Americans struggle with uh, regular anxiety, chronic anxiety. Um, But the latest study, they said that over 70% of Americans have regular anxiety. Over 70%. And that's not like, hey, I, I got anxiety this one time. It's regular, ongoing anxiety. And it's for, you know, all variety of reasons. And I have to admit that I think I would, I would fall into that 70% that I struggle with anxiety and fear. You know, something that kind of sneaks up on me from, from time to time is I have this fear that something horrible is going to happen to the people that I love. And it just kind of comes out of nowhere. I don't know why it happens. I know when we brought my, my daughter, Olive, home from the hospital, I remember putting her down to sleep. And all throughout the night, for, and this was all, all the time, I'd have to go and make sure that she was breathing. Because there was just this fear that she wasn't going to wake up. I, re- I remember another time, I go to Brazil every year, 
And, and one of the times I was, I was down there, I was in this village, we were preaching the gospel, praying for people, just loving on this community right on the Amazon River. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this fear came over me that something was going on with my wife, Lara, that she was in trouble, that she was in danger, that, that something bad was happening. And, and it just like, came out of nowhere. And it was almost like debilitated. Like I, it just felt like something bad is happening. And it, and, and it just happens from, from, from time to time. And I imagine many of you can, can relate to those things. Many of you would say, yeah, I'm part of that 70%. Maybe, maybe for you, you're overwhelmed by the what-ifs in life. Like, what if, what if this happens? What if this doesn't happen? What if this um, meeting that I'm going into doesn't go well? What if, what if I, you know, I can't finish all of the work that I'm supposed to finish? What if, you know, you know what if this date doesn't go well? What if I don't get a date? What if, well, you know, all kinds of things. Just, just anxiety, turmoil inside of us. You know, maybe for you it's financial. There's a financial anxiety that you carry. Do you know that Americans right now have over $1 trillion of credit card debt? That's not, that's not including like, you know, mortgages on houses. $1 trillion of credit card debt. And maybe for you, you know, you're, you're just bogged down with debt and you're just constantly feeling this level of anxiety of just worry and how am I going to pay this off? Maybe it's retirement. You don't have enough in your retirement. Maybe it's like, I don't know if I'm going to have enough money to pay my bills this month. It's financial anxiety. You know, the, the area of anxiety that they say is on the, the, the rise at the highest rate is political or cultural anxiety that there's a high level of anxiety about what's going on in our country. And we see that, don't we? There is just so much turmoil in our country. It's just so divided. They say our country is more divided today than it has been since the Civil War. That there's just all of this anxiety about, you know, what, the, what our politicians are doing or where, where culture is, is going. And I think the media really reinforces this. The media tells us that we need to be afraid I mean, that, I mean that, that's studies and, and, you know, if you get into their, like, secret business meetings, they know that fear sells. They know that if they can get you afraid, you'll tune in. That if they say, oh, this is going to happen, you better watch. Watch our show because we're going to tell you what you need to be afraid of. And, and our politicians, man, I'm, I'm going to get it on a political soapbox just for a second. Bear with me. I only be on there for a second. But listen, our political system, our political parties are constantly selling the idea of fear. Both sides. Both sides selling this idea. If you're on this side, it's saying you need to be afraid of these people. They're going to take your rights. They're going to come take your jobs. They're going to come do this. Be afraid. Be afraid. And this side saying, no, you need to be afraid of those people. 
You need to be afraid of them. They're taking your rights. They're taking your jobs. They're, ta- you know, they're doing this. And both sides are selling this idea of fear, and we're bombarded with a message of fear 24 hours a day on news, on Facebook, on, on Twitter, constantly. Be afraid. Bombarded. No wonder Americans have a, the highest level of anxiety in the entire world. No wonder. But I don't think this, this problem of anxiety and fear is new with this administration or, or the previous administration. I don't think it's uh, you know, a problem that happened when Twitter hit the, hit the world. It's not. This has been a problem since the dawn of time. People have struggled with worry and anxiety. That's why the Bible talks about it so much. And, 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 and really, when we look at the fact that the Bible talks about anxiety and worry and fear so much, it tells me three things. One, it tells me that it isn't in God's plan. That he doesn't want us to be people who live in fear. He didn't design you that way. Sometimes I hear people say, you know, I'm just, that's just how I'm wired. I'm, I'm kind of wired to be an anxious person, to be, you know, kind of a worry wart. That's just who I am. But that's not, that's not how God made you. That's not God's plan for your life to be a worrier or to be full of anxiety. The second thing it tells me that it's in Scripture so much that it's very common, that it's really common for human beings to feel anxiety and worry and fear. Even though it's not in God's plan, he recognizes that we're going we're gonna to struggle with it. It's so easy for us to fall into it. And three, the third thing it, tell, it tells me is that we aren't helpless. The fact that he tells us not to worry, the fact that he tells us to not be afraid tells me that we can do something about it. God wouldn't give us a command to do something if we didn't have the ability to, to follow that command, right? He wouldn't say, stop breathing. Don't breathe. He wouldn't do that. But it, but it feels overwhelming, doesn't it? For some of us, it feels daunting. Like, well, how, how do I deal with that? How do I address it? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because we are going to look at what Paul says in the book of Philippians. We're, we're finishing up this series in, in the book of Philippians. And let me just, I love this series. It's just, the, the book of Philippians is gold. It's so good. And, and really, the theme of this book, it's a letter to the, the church in Philippi. And the theme is all about Christian maturity. Like, as a follower of Christ, this is what it looks like to live in maturity. And as Paul wraps it up in chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 13. Paul makes the argument or presents the case that Christian maturity, to be a mature Christian, we would not be people who live in fear. That we would not be people who are just constantly living in anxiety. That's what Paul Paul is, is, is giving that case. So let's open up. And as we do, I'm going to just pray, but that's Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 13. There's Bibles all around the, the sanctuary, or we'll have it up on the stage as well. But Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for such a sweet time and worship. And we just ask that you would be with us as we look at your word.
love you. Amen. So I'm, I'm going to read a, a kind of big chunk here. So, so stay with me. It says, do not be anxious about anything. So right off the bat, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the the God of peace will be with you. You know, I, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So much good stuff in this little portion of scripture. But let's see what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about this peace that transcends all understanding. He's talking about a peace that doesn't make sense, a peace that transcends understanding. What is that peace? It's important that we define what that peace is, what it looks like, because I'm sure there are all kinds of definitions of what peace is. So let's look at what Paul is talking about. So point one in your notes is the characteristics of peace. You've got to define it. What, what is this peace? And the first thing about it, your first blank there under point one, is it's learned. Paul says that peace is learned. He says that peace, it comes from maturity, that it evolves in our life. It's not, it's not naturally within us. Paul says he had to learn it in verse 11. He says, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Paul's not saying, man, I'm just a stoic guy. You know, things just don't phase me. That's just who I am. I'm, I'm easy breezy. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, guys, listen, I have, I've had to learn to have this peace. I've had to learn to be content in all situations. And, 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 and for me, this is really encouraging. It's encouraging because it tells me that there's hope for a guy like me. And it should be encouraging to you to, to know that, that for you, there's hope. That you can learn to have peace. This peace that transcends understanding that it can get better for you. That encourages me a lot. It's something you can grow in. And I know for, for me, that's been true in my life. It's been true. I mean, I still sometimes struggle with anxiety, but it is a heck of a lot less than it used to be. And when I was younger, man, it was, it was all the time. And now it pops up from time to time, but I'm, I'm growing. I'm maturing in that. Anxiety has less of a hold of my life. 
but, but it, is a learned, it is a learned thing for Paul, and it can be a learned thing for us. The second characteristic that Paul talks about, uh, about this peace, is it's not circumstantial. See, for Paul, this, this peace, it wasn't dependent on what was happening around him. You know, what was happening around him didn't dictate whether or not he had peace or not. Peace isn't, for Paul, the, the absence of trouble. It's not the absence of pain. It's not the absence of hardships. For, for Paul, it's not circumstantial. He says that again in verse 11. He says, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Whatever the circumstances, Paul says we can have peace. And let me just say, this is not just lip service for Paul. Paul is writing this letter from prison awaiting his execution. He's not sitting in like his penthouse apartment saying, you know, I've, I've really learned to have some peace in life. Like he's not talking from his like private jet saying, listen, you can have peace, trust me. No, he's talking from prison saying, I, I, I'm content, guys. I have peace. And, and listen, I mean, listen to, to this, 2 Corinthians 11. This is, this is Paul talking about his life. He says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I do not like green eggs and ham. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Yet... He has contentment, yet he has peace. And if you read throughout the story of Paul, if you look in the book of Acts, it's true. It's true. He's had peace, and he's learned to have peace in all circumstances. That's the backdrop of him saying, I've learned to be content. And you know what's crazy is when you see this played out in people's lives. When you see people who, according to your logic, should have the least amount of peace, who should be full of more anxiety, and they, they just have a peace that just doesn't make any sense. Have you seen that? I, I was just talking to someone a couple weeks ago who was, it was a dear friend of mine who had lost their spouse, and they were just talking about how hard it was how difficult it was and, and the pain, but they said they had, they had a level of peace through it that they had never experienced in their life, that they had peace. It didn't mean it wasn't hard, but they had peace. When you see that, it just, man, it inspires me. It inspires me when I see that level of peace. So the third characteristic First one, it's, it's learned. The second one is it's not circumstantial. And the third is it's personal. The peace that Paul is talking about is personal. 
Here's what I mean. The, 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 the peace isn't just an absence of fear. It's not the absence of anxiety. It's not the absence of something. It's actually the presence of something. More accurately, it's, it's the presence of someone. The peace of, of, of that, that Paul is talking about is the presence of someone. He says, the God of peace will be with you. That's what peace is all about. The God of peace will be with you. And the, that peace that's unwavering, that, that can calm the, the, the unrest in us, it's, it comes from someone. It comes from God. And it's not just from him, it is him. That he is with us. It also tells us there that he, Paul says that, that, that the that the God of peace will guard your hearts and your mind. It's personal. You know, that when we think of the peace that is talked about in the Bible, we cannot separate it from the person of Jesus. It's, it, it, can't be, it can't be experienced outside of the person of Jesus. I mean, listen, I love this. Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though that death is all around me, I will fear no evil. Why? Why? Because you are with me. That's why we don't have to have fear. Because he is with us. The peace we have is personal. It's relationship with Jesus. It's a relationship with Jesus. He's with us. It doesn't say, you know, he, he helps us avoid the valley of the shadow of death. We walk through it. But we don't fear because he is with us personal. So then, how do we obtain that peace? How do we get that peace? If that's what it is, if it's personal, if it's learned, if it's, you know, unwavering in all circumstances, how do we get it? Well, well, Paul is really practical, which I really like. He really lays it out of, this is what you do. He, he lays out some disciplines of how we can have peace in our life. And so that's point two, the disciplines of peace. What are the disciplines of peace? He gives us some really great disciplines here. The first piece of advice that Paul gives us is he talks about our thoughts. He talks about what we're thinking about. And so that's, that's the, the first little, little block in your outline under point two is our thinking. The first discipline that we have is, is our thinking, what we think about the discipline of what we think about. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul is saying what we think about really matters. What happens in your, in your mind really affects how you feel what you think about matters. And he's telling us to think about what is true and noble. And, and really, these words have so much more meaning than what it, what it reads like on paper. It feels kind of static. And it can maybe feel like Paul is saying, 
Think about bunnies and rainbows and, and you know, butterflies. To get, you know, get your mind over here. He's not giving us a distraction. Paul's not offering a distraction so we get our mind off of what is hard. He's actually, he's actually talking about theology here. He's actually saying, think about your theology. And theology, for some of us, can be a scary word, but really all theology means is the way we think about God. And he's saying, think about, this, think about God. Think about how good he is. Think about his characteristics, how strong he is, how, how, how steadfast he is, how merciful he is, how in control he is. Think about how he created this world and he is in control of the world. Think about how he is unchanging. Think about that he loves you. Think about that he sent his son to die for you, to pay the price of your sins. He's not offering a distraction. He's not saying, hey guys, look over here. Look over here. Actually, I love that our faith doesn't do that. Our faith doesn't say, ignore the hard stuff. It talks, read the Bible. It talks a lot about the hard stuff. It doesn't say ignore the hard stuff. It says look at the hard stuff, but in light of the true stuff that we know, in light of who God is. It's not saying ignore it. It's saying when we focus our eyes on Jesus, the hard stuff becomes less hard. It becomes more manageable because we see it from God's perspective. When we know that the almighty, strong, loving, kind, wonderful God is for us and with us, man, those things seem less daunting, don't they? That can give us peace. And so practically, how do we do that? How do we, how do we think about God? One of the greatest tools I think we have is worship. One of the greatest tools we have is our worship. And again, I encourage you, come out to the, the equipped class, the lifestyle of worship, because we're going to get into deep, all kinds of ways to worship, aside from just singing songs. But our worship, telling God who he is, reminding ourselves of the truths of who he is, even, even singing Singing the truths about God, what we did this morning, singing about his love, singing about how it's, it, it just comes after us, it's always pursuing us, it helps us, it reminds us of what is really true. Or, or may, maybe for you it's reading scripture, reading the, reading the Bible, man, that is a great way to remind us of truth. Reading about who God is, what he's done, how faithful he is, it helps us set our thoughts on God. Or, or prayer, or all, I mean, all kinds of things can help us set our thoughts, can help our thought life and what we think about. It's reminding ourselves what is true. It's saying, this is what I see, this is what I'm experiencing, but this is who you are. And this is what I know to be true. That's, and, and, and the reason is, is because even when things look bad, we know that God is good. We know that God is good all the time. And, and that leads us to our second discipline, our thanking. Well, our thankfulness, our gratitude. 
Paul tells us that our thankfulness is key to overcoming anxiety. And, and, and the truth is, is no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what you're going through here today, no matter what you go through in the darkest place, we have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to be thankful for. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. See, when you start deciding, when you start disciplining yourself to, 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 to be thankful, it changes how you feel. Thankfulness changes so much. Do you know that the medical community, the, psych, the, the, the psychology community, they talk about how thankfulness and gratitude changes the neural pathways in your brain. I was just talking to a clinical counselor who says they prescribe gratitude because it changes the way you think. It literally changes the way your brain is hardwired. It changes the chemical makeup in your brain as well. It releases those feel-good chemicals when, when you choose to be thankful. It changes the chemistry in your brain. There is something about being thankful that changes us physically and psychologically, and it, it makes a huge difference in our lives. But not only that, but it changes your soul. It changes who you are, the innermost part of who you are. It changes it. See, I find in my, in my life there are times where I just get in these modes where I'm critical, I'm grumbling, I'm, I'm just negative. And I know when, I, when, I, when I'm getting better at it, when I see myself doing those things, a light goes off in my head and I say, oh, I'm anxious. I'm, I'm worrying, I'm stressed out about something. I need to be thankful. I need to change my thinking and change my thankfulness and choose to be thankful. And notice, I keep on saying, choose to be thankful. Decide, it's a discipline. Oftentimes when we think about being thankful, we think it's a feeling. Like, oh, I just feel so thankful for that. And sometimes it is. Sometimes we feel thankful, but sometimes we need to feel thankful even if we don't feel thankful. And so we choose to be thankful. It's a discipline. And I found in my life when I choose to be thankful, over, sometimes immediately, but, but over time, I begin to change how I feel. Like who, how I see life, how I, how I, I go about, how I feel inside changes when I choose thankfulness. And I love that this is a principle all the way from the Bible, but, but science is just saying, yep, it's true. And we see this all over, all over the Bible. It's really cool. Paul, I love too how Paul says, we go to the Lord. He doesn't say, go to him, present your request. And then when he answers your prayer, thank him. Make sure you thank him. No, he says, even before, before everything else, thank him. Thank him. And I think the reason is, is because God is good all the time. There's always a reason to thank him. 
He is so good. Guys, if I think if we really even knew a fraction of how good he is, all of the things he is doing in our lives, all of the ways he is blessing us, all the things that he is just pouring out on us, if we just knew a fraction of it, we could not stop but singing his praises. We couldn't stop thanking him. It would just, oh my gosh, I can't. It's just an overflow of who I am is just thanking God. That's, what, that's why when, when it says in heaven, we're just going to be worshiping all the time. I, when I was younger, I'd be like, oh, that seems like it would be hard. But I think when we come face to face with his goodness, it's just going to be natural. It's just going to, I mean, the Bible tells us that if we aren't praising him, the rocks, the stones will cry out. All creation will sing his praises because he deserves it. He, he is that good. And so we thank him. And that changes, changes the anxiety. It begins to settle the anxiety in our hearts. Which leads to the last discipline, our loving our thinking, our thanking, and our loving. And I have to admit, I, it really bothered me that I couldn't think of another TH word. If you think of one, shoot me a text or something. But our loving. See, Paul knew that anxiety, <clears throat> that fear that we have, that turmoil, isn't just an issue of our mind. It's not just an issue of our thought lives. But it's a heart issue as well. I love that Paul says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. I love too, Paul goes through when he's talking about what we think about, he's talking about what is true, what is right, and all those things. But then he, he also says things like, What is lovely? Like he's using these words of attraction and, and these, the, these words that are more associated with our hearts than our minds. Paul knew that not only what we think about, but where we put our heart and what we love determines so much of our well-being in this world. He understood that what you love will ultimately determine how you're feeling the anxiety levels that we have, whether we feel peace or whether we feel fear. The Apostle John puts it like this in, in 1 John. He says, there is no fear in love. None. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear. And that perfect love cannot be experienced outside the person of Jesus. We can get tastes of it. We can experience bits and pieces of it, but the perfect fulfillment of that love is only found in the person of Jesus. And that's how Jesus wired us to, to love him, to be loved by him. He created us for a relationship with him. That's why you are made that's why you are here today, is to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to be in relationship with him, to, that he would be our first love, our love above all other loves. He would be our first love. 
And what happens is there's all these other loves. Sometimes they're really good loves. And they, they begin to take the place of that first love. And when that happens, you begin to feel anxiety. Because that's not how you were created. That's not what you were made to be doing. This is, I mean, this is just true in nature. We see when something is being used outside the function that it was created for, it doesn't work very well, right? If I use a hammer to try to screw in a nail, it's not going to work right. And so when we are trying to exist in a way that we were not created, we're gonna, there's going to be turmoil. There's going to be anxiety. There's going to be unrest. See, when we're trying to love something, that, love something that's not Jesus, the problem is, is those things can be wonderful, great things, but they are not stable. They're not stable things. The only thing that, that does not change, that eternally is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, is, is Jesus. That he's the rock, and, and all other things are shifting sand. Jesus says, all other things are shifting sand. In the book of Matthew, Jesus talks about how when we put our love, when we put our treasure and things in this world, when our heart is focused on things of this world, we're going to have unrest because those things can be stolen. Those things can be destroyed. Those things we can lose. And he says, put your heart, put your treasure in the things of above. On God. Because those things are secure. So if your first love becomes, you know, another thing that we're called to care for and love, like family. If our first love becomes family, what happens if we lose our family? What happens if your family decides they don't love you anymore? What about if it's, if it's our career, our job? You know, you know, we were created to work. We were created to, 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 to you know, join in with God and, and caring for creation and doing and, and being people who work. And we're also called to rest. And it's this interesting dynamic. But we're called to work. And we're supposed to call, we're called to, to love work. And it wasn't until the fall happened that work became something that was a curse. But if we, love, if we love work more than God, then, then what happens if we don't have enough success? We'll constantly be wanting more success. What happens if we lose our job? It's unstable. And I could go on and on. Every other thing in this world will leave you feeling anxious if it's your first love. Now, hear me, I'm not saying we shouldn't love our family. I'm not saying you shouldn't love your job. I'm not saying that you shouldn't love the calves. <laughs> but they, they can't be your first love. Because if they are, it'll just leave you feeling unstable unst and, and anxious. So here's my challenge to you. If you don't want to feel anxious, this is all you got to do. It's easy. Think about Jesus 24 hours a day. Don't stop thinking about him. 
Thank him for everything all the time and love him so much more than everything else. Easy, right? Here's the thing, it's impossible. You can't do it. You're going to fail. And honestly, if that becomes your hope, if these disciplines become your hope for peace, you will feel anxiety. You will feel anxiety. It's a catch-22, isn't it? I mean, these these things are great tools. They're great disciplines to place in, in your life. But you are going to fail at them. But... There's a secret to having peace. And that's what Paul says. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And so what's that secret? Well, Paul tells us. He says in verse 13, he says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Other versions of says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what does that mean? <clears throat> I've heard that. I hear that verse a lot. It's a really popular verse. Philippians 4.13. I'll see, a lot of times, I watch a lot of sports, and I see it in sporting events. Like, sometimes someone is, you know, just won the Super Bowl, and they're like, you know, thank God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or someone is like, has these big dreams of what they want to accomplish in life. And, and you know, I know I, when, I was a, when I was younger, I wanted to be a rock star musician. And I, and you know, like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I can do this. But I'm sorry to say that that's not what this means. Paul isn't saying that we can do whatever we want. Because Jesus gives us strength to do those things. It's not what he's saying. I mean, think about the context that we read this. He's talking about anxiety. He's talking about fear. He's writing this from prison. He's writing this facing his death and saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What he is saying is, I can face whatever this world you know, puts up against me because of Jesus. I'm able to do all things because of him. I can face whatever this world throws my way. It doesn't mean that we won't have hardships. In fact, it actually kind of alludes to the fact that we will. It doesn't mean that we won't fail. It doesn't mean that we won't have pain, that we won't suffer. Paul says sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. Sometimes we have a lot, sometimes we have a little. Sometimes things go well, sometimes things don't go well. Sometimes we'll have health, sometimes we'll be sick, but we can do all things through Christ. That's what he's saying. And that's the secret. Is Paul has learned that he can make an exchange in his heart, in his being. He can make an exchange and say, I have this anxiety but I give it to you, God, and receive your peace. I receive your strength. And so the last point is the exchange of peace. And this is how it works. Anxiety, that turmoil, that fear, that feeling of being torn up inside, it is a result of sin. 
It is a result. So sometimes it's actually sinful to be worryful, but it, most of the time it is a result of sin. It's a result of sin. It's a result of your sins. It's a result of, of the sins committed against you. It's a result of living in a sinful world. Isaiah 57, But the wicked are like this tossing sea which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. The prophet Isaiah is saying, uh, coming from God, the wicked, wickedness, sin, is, it's like the tossing sea. Anxiety being torn up, torn up unrest. And it's a result of sin. Anxiety is, the con- is one of the consequences of sin. But do you know when Jesus went to the cross, do you know what he accomplished? Do you know what happened when Jesus went to the cross? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. The one who had no sin became sin for us. And what does that mean? Again, that doesn't mean that, that Jesus became sinful. That doesn't mean that he decided to start sinning when he was up on the cross. What it means is he took the, the effects of our sin. He took the punishment of our sin. He took the, the consequences of our sin on the cross. And like we were saying, one of the consequences of our sin is anxiety, is unrest. And don't we see that on the cross? Don't you see that in Jesus dying on the cross? Does he, when he was up there, does it seem like he was just peaceful and calm? No. He was in anguish. Spiritually, emotionally, he cried out, God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me, God? Do you know that on the cross, typically the pain was so unbearable that you would pass out and you'd be unconscious for hours until you died? But not so for Jesus. It said when Jesus died, he, he breathed his last breath and he gave out this, this cry, this scream, because he was so full of, of the consequences of our sins, our anxiety, our panic, our worry our turmoil, our wickedness. The prince of peace, he who is out without sin, the prince of peace took our anxiety on the cross. He took it. He took our fear on the cross. And today, we can make a supernatural exchange with Jesus. Because of the cross, we can say, I give you my fear. I give you my anxiety because you bought it. You paid the price. I give it to you, and I receive your peace. See, what Jesus accomplished on the cross was, was, was you know, it is, it, it, sometimes we think about it as our ticket to heaven, and it is that. But it is so much more than that. There's so many other things that, that, that we can experience and, and live in because of what Jesus did on the cross. And the most beautiful thing about it is it's free. We don't earn it. We don't have to work really hard to not be anxious. In fact, when you, like I said, when you do, you will be more anxious. It is a free gift of God. 
The Bible calls peace a, a fruit of the Spirit. It is a gift. It's just a byproduct of the Spirit of God. And I see just such a marked difference in people's lives, those people who are working to be peaceful people and those who are supernaturally changed by the Spirit of God. And it changes us from the inside out, and we do it regularly. Sometimes we have to do it a million times a day. God, I'm anxious. Here it is. God, I'm anxious. Here it is. Give me your peace. You bought that. Here it is. But that's offered to us for free every day, every moment of every day. We can make an exchange with Jesus. That's the secret to having peace in this, in this world. So we don't earn it. It's a gift from, from Jesus, and we just make that exchange with him. So here's how I want to end. Why don't we, why don't we stand? We're going to end with a song. Are you, are you, I know many of you guys are familiar with the song, It Is Well. It's a, it's a hymn that was written in, in the 1870s by a guy named uh, Horatio St- uh, Stafford. He was from Chicago. And just a little bit about the, the story of this song. In 1871, uh, Horatio lost all that he had in the Chicago fires. In the great Chicago fires. And he had a, a family. He had a, a wife and uh, four daughters and one son. And he, they lost everything. And, and, and later that year, he lost his only son to pneumonia. And, you know, they were trying, I mean, full of grief, full of suffering, trying to, you know, put their lives back, back together, put the pieces back together. They uh, were, were going to go over to Europe and uh, Horatio had some stuff to do in Chicago, so he sent his wife and four daughters to, to Europe. And on the way over, the ship actually, actually it, it had a shipwreck and crashed. And his four daughters were killed. His wife was not killed, but he, he wasn't aware of this at the time. And word got back that the ship uh, had sunk. And he immediately got on the next ship he could find and started traveling over to Europe to see what, you know, what happened. And on the, the, the ship ride to Europe, he wrote the song, It Is Well. He wrote the song, It Is Well. And, and he wrote words like, When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, and when sorrows like sea billows and roll, whatever my lot that thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's a peace that transcends understanding. And when you see people live, live out their lives like that, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm spending time with my mom who is diagnosed with, with a terminal cancer and she just has a peace about her, more peace than I've ever seen in her. And she can say it's well. It, it just it, it inspires me. And it shows me that this stuff that we're talking about is true. That we can have a peace that transcends our understanding.
We can make that exchange with Jesus. We can say, I should feel anxious, but I'm going to give that to you, and I'm 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 going to take your peace. And so as we sing this song, I just want to encourage you, if if you are feeling anxious, if you struggle with fear and anxiety, can you raise your hand? I see my hand is raised. It should be be about 70% of us. I want to encourage you to come up to the front as just an act of just surrender to Jesus and singing this song. So, So would you join me in the front if you want freedom from this anxiety or fear?
that be our prayer. And no matter what we are experiencing and in success and in failure in victory and in defeat in life and in death in health sickness that we would choose to say it is well with my soul that we would be a people of your peace that we would fix our thoughts on you we would focus less on our problems and more on the solution that we would be people who would be full of gratitude that we would constantly be thanking you for who you are and what you're doing and what you're going to do. And Lord, our hearts would be, would be yours. And we'd be a people who were just deeply in love with you, Jesus. And that we would become quicker and more adept at making those exchanges with you. Saying, Lord, this is my fear. Lord, this is my anger. Lord, this is my my sinful desire, this is my whatever, and saying, give me what you have for me, Jesus. We just say we love you. We are your people. Let us be, let us be a demonstration of your goodness and that you are the Prince of Peace. We love you. Amen. So uh, bless you guys. Have peace this week. Um, have a wonderful week, and as you leave, I just want to encourage you to buy one of those t-shirts. They're cheap. We're selling them for as cheap as we can, so we can all have one. Uh, and pick up a six-pack of invites to invite family or friends to church. Bless you guys.
tongues of fire Holy Spirit move Leave no trace of man's desire Spirit burn right through Spirit burn
more than 